Well, hi, Frontline. Thanks again for joining us on our live stream. I'm really excited today because we're starting a brand new series called In the Wild. And it's camping season. Maybe you already have been out and camped uh, with your family as the weather is getting warmer. My family and I are planning a wilderness camping trip right now that we're going to go out on. And because we do wilderness camping, what you have to do is you have to make sure you remember to bring everything with you. So the most important thing you do whenever you begin to plan for a wilderness camping trip is you start by making the list. And you have to make sure you remember everything you need to bring with you on that list. If you're just going, you know, camping in your backyard, it's no big deal if you get out there and you realize you forgot something. You just walk inside the house and get it. Or if you're camping at a state park, there's probably like a camp store or something nearby where you can go and get anything that you forget. But if you go wilderness camping and you get out in the middle of the woods and there you realize you forgot the matches and the toilet paper, I've been on a trip like that, you are in trouble. (laughs) It is bad news when you get yourself into that kind of a situation. We're going to be, for this series, joining Israel in the middle of their story at the moment when they leave Egypt and they begin to head into the unknown of the wilderness. And what happens as Israel begins to go into the unknown of the wilderness is they begin to forget about how bad Egypt really was. They actually start to remember their slavery as a better time. And so they forget about who they are. They forget about who God is and who God called them to be as his holy people. And so a key word that pops up again and again in the story of Israel journeying through the wilderness is the word remember. The word remember is repeated again and again. In fact, 15 times in the book of Deuteronomy, you see this this word. It's the Hebrew word zakar. And God just keeps saying again and again to his people, remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, but I, the Lord, rescued you with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Remember that you used to be slaves. Remember you used to have to live this way, but now I have redeemed you. I've called you by my name, and God says, now I've called you into this new life, this new way of living. You just see this word again and again and again, a huge important word, remember in the wilderness. The wilderness, if you think about it, is any place of transition in our lives. So it's a place in our lives where we can't go back to the way things used to be, but also we don't really know what the new normal is going to be yet. I would say we are right now facing just such a time in our world and in our society. There's never really been a time in our history when there's been a crisis related to health and related to our economy and then also related to racial justice all at the same time. We're living in a time where we don't, we know we can't go back to the way things used to be, but we also are not sure what the new normal is going to look like. We're in the wilderness. That's where we are. And what happens to us when we're in the wilderness is we struggle. We we struggle to try to get back to a past that doesn't exist anymore. And what happens is we start to believe that our best days are actually behind us. And we start to believe that the best way to live our lives is to live out of memory instead of living out of imagination of what God has called us to be and what our lives could be if we really fully trust in him and lean into the changes that he wants to bring into our lives. 
And so what you see in the story of Israel is that every time Israel begins to forget, every time they fail to remember who God is and who he's called them to be, they go back to the old life. They go back to being slaves. They go back to a slave mentality in Egypt. And so what God does in the wilderness is he gives the people of Israel these spiritual practices These spiritual practices that are meant to help them remember who they are and remember who he is in the midst of their wilderness time. For instance, one of those is the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a prayer that the Israelites began saying in the wilderness, in their time in the wilderness. And it was a morning prayer and it was also the prayer they would pray at the very end of the day. And it just says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they would pray this as a way to remind themselves who God was and who God had called them to be. In addition to that, God gives them these four anchors, these four spiritual practices during their time in the wilderness. And so what we're going to do with this series is every week we're going to look at a different one of these anchors. We're going to look at a different one of these spiritual practices because if we begin to live these in our lives, it could actually help us during our time in our wilderness season. And it could help us connect with who God is and remember who we are and who he's calling us to be as he leads us to the new normal that he's calling us into. And so that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to start today with the first of those four anchors. And the first anchor that God gives them in the wilderness is celebration. God calls them to be people who celebrate in the middle of the wilderness. What happens is, you can find it in Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus 23, God gives the people of Israel seven feasts that they are supposed to celebrate every year. Put it on your calendar, seven feasts. And basically what God says is during these feasts, during these holy days, you are not to do any work and I command you to party. I command you to celebrate. That's what he tells them. Think about that for a minute. The Israelites are literally in the middle of the worst time of their lives. They're in the middle of the wilderness. They're homeless. They are traveling through. They don't know when the end of this is going to be. They don't know what the destination is really going to look like. They're struggling. And God says, it's really important for you right now to celebrate. It's important for you to party. It's important for you to put these seven feasts on your calendar and make sure you celebrate them every single year, which is an amazing thing for God to say. And what happens is these feasts, as we look at them, they actually can help Uh, help us remember, and they can remind us how to celebrate during our wilderness season. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 and just look at those together because there's something powerful that we can gain by understanding how God called his people to celebrate. So the first of the seven feasts that you find in uh, Leviticus 23 is the Passover. Passover is the first feast they were called to celebrate. Now, Passover looked backwards To a time in Israel's history, it was actually looked back to the last of the 10 plagues that were visited on Egypt and where God's children were spared when they put the blood of a lamb over their doorposts, the angel of death came and passed over their houses. So it looked back and it commemorated and celebrated this moment where God rescued them in the past, but also it pointed forward, it looked forward to the person of Jesus. Jesus actually died on the cross on the day of Passover when they would sacrifice the lambs. 
And so Jesus came and by Jesus' blood that was shed for us on the cross, Jesus rescued us. Jesus was God's sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf so we could be rescued. So it looks backwards, Passover does, but it also pointed toward Jesus. Again, the next feast that that the people were called to celebrate is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, Unleavened Bread started the day after Passover. It was a seven-day feast. And essentially, what it celebrated was, again, a moment in Israel's past. When they left Egypt, they had to leave in such a hurry that they didn't have time to bake bread. And so they made bread without any leaven in it, unleavened bread. It had no yeast in it so that they, it could travel with them and so they could take it with them. And so this Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrated this time when they left without leaven. Now, yeast or leaven came to represent sin for God's people. All through the scriptures, you see that. So Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf, a life without leaven, a life without sin. So Jesus was literally God's perfect sacrifice for our sins. So it looks backward, but it also looks forward to the person of Jesus. Are you noticing a pattern here? The next feast that they were called to celebrate in Leviticus 23 was the Feast of Firstfruits. I dare you to say that three times fast. The Feast of first fruits happened on the third day after the lambs were sacrificed on Passover. So Jesus was, was sacrificed on the day of Passover. But then if you think about it, Jesus rose on the third day. He rose on the day of first fruits. Now, the first fruits, uh, first fruits festival, it was a feast celebrating the first of the harvest. So it was the first of three feasts that celebrated the harvest. And what God's people would do is they would take a tithe of the harvest, the first offering of the harvest, and they would offer it back to God. And they would celebrate and have a feast celebrating that God had allowed them to have a harvest and that he would provide for them. And so Jesus literally rises from the grave on first fruits. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who are going to rise to eternal life in Jesus. He used that terminology on purpose because it connected with the, the Feast of first fruits. So again, it looked backward to God's faithfulness. We trust God with a tithe of, of the harvest, but it also pointed to Jesus' resurrection. The next one is the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was, a, was the second of the harvest feasts, and it happened seven weeks after uh, the Feast of First Fruits actually happened 50 days exactly after First Fruits. In fact, Pentecost means 50 days. And what happened is they would bring the first of the grain offerings and offer it as a tithe to the Lord and have a feast. But what happened was, even though they were celebrating God's faithfulness to them with the harvest, Pentecost was the moment that the Holy Spirit fell, the church was born, and on the day that that happened in Jerusalem, there was a harvest of 3,000 people that came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it start, they were the first fruits. They were the first of the harvest of the church and the area that we live in now. So again, it pointed backward, but then it pointed forward to Jesus and to the church's mission and to the gospel going into the world. From there, the next feast they were called to celebrate uh, Go ahead to that next one if you could, is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, uh, here's the way they would celebrate this. Basically, there would be a loud public trumpet blast. And when that trumpet blast happened, all of God's people were commanded to cease all work 
And they had to begin to prepare themselves for the Day of Atonement, to prepare their hearts for the, days, for the Day of Atonement. So it looked to this idea of preparing yourself in, in the past, thinking back on the past year and all the different ways that maybe you had fallen short and you needed to repent. But it also pointed forward to Jesus' second coming. The return of Christ is talked about in the scriptures as a moment when there will be a loud trumpet a loud trumpet blast and that's the moment that Jesus will return to set up his kingdom and that's the moment that we'll begin to prepare ourselves for our day of atonement and that leads us to the next feast which was the day of atonement now atonement just means re- making restitution for sins that's what it means And so on the Day of Atonement, what would happen is the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred holy part of the temple, and he would only go in there on this one day, and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people of Israel for the last year, for all the sins that were committed for the last year. It was was called their Judgment Day. Yom Kippur actually means Day of Atonement or Judgment Day. So it, it, thought, it looked back to the past year and all the sins that needed to be atoned for for the past year, but it also looked forward to what Jesus would come to do on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus offered a sacrifice once for all, for all of our sins on the cross and a sacrificial death for us so that our judgment day, someday when we stand before Christ, some, someday when we stand before God, Our judgment day will be a day of celebration for those of us who have put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus. It won't be a day of of mourning or condemnation. It'll be a day of celebration of what Jesus did for us. One more feast. The last feast that's talked about in Leviticus 23 is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Tabernacles was a seven-day-long feast where basically what the people of Israel were doing is they were looking back to the part of their story where they were in the wilderness, And they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And so God met them and provided for them during that time. And so what the people of Israel would do to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles is they would literally go out and camp. They would go like build tents, tabernacles or temporary shelters, and they would live in those tents for those seven days. And that's how they would celebrate. So it looked back to this time in the wilderness and how God provided, but it also looked forward to the incarnation of Jesus. The scriptures say that when Jesus was born, uh, he, he was God made flesh. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. Jesus came and, and became human and lived with us. And someday when Jesus returns, his kingdom will be set up here on earth. So it looks forward to the person of Jesus. Those are the seven feasts that they had to celebrate every single year. Now, here's the question. Why did I take the time to walk you through all that? Why did I tediously take you through all seven of those feasts? Here's the reason why. It's because I want you to see the feasts that God gave them to celebrate, they had great meaning. And they had great meaning because they were rooted in the person of Jesus. They celebrated the past, sure. They, they reminded uh, the Israelites of the story of how God had redeemed and rescued them. But they also pointed toward a future coming Messiah. They found their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And I would say there is no true celebration without Jesus. True celebration is always rooted in the person of Jesus. So let's just turn this toward ourselves, if we could, for a moment. In this wilderness season that we're living in, in our world and our society, where do we go wrong with celebration? Where do we miss the mark? Where do we fall short when it comes to our celebration? Here's what I would say. 
I would say we settle for entertainment instead of true celebration. We tend to settle for entertainment, which is numbing out, escaping, distracting ourselves, instead of true celebration. True celebration is always centered on the person of Jesus. Now, why do we do this? Why why do we settle for entertainment instead of celebration? It's because when we're in the middle of a wilderness season, when we're in the middle of a tough time, what happens is we begin to want to distract. We begin to want to numb out. We we don't want to feel things. We just want to disappear, disappear into our phones, disappear into any form of entertainment that we can find. This is why it's been so easy to binge watch a series on Netflix while riots and protests are happening in our world. This is why whenever there's a national tragedy, you can trace it. Study after study has shown this. Whenever there's a national tragedy, unnecessary spending goes way up. We just start buying stuff. This is why alcohol sales skyrocketed when the pandemic hit and the shutdown happened. It's because when we get into a tough time, we drift toward entertainment. We don't drift toward celebration. We drift toward whatever will help us just sort of distract, disengage, numb out, escape, not feel pain. That's where we go. Those things become our go-to. And we're living in a world and in a time when entertainment is, a, is at an all-time high value. This is why this whole pandemic has been so hard because our our social public gatherings, our sporting events, those things have all been shut down during this time. And those things are a major way in which we get entertainment. Our social gatherings usually are connected to some form of entertainment. Uh, For me personally, the month of June, usually what I'm doing in the month of June is I'm watching the NBA finals. I love the NBA finals. They're a huge source of entertainment for me. And this June, for the first time in, that I can remember, there's been no NBA Finals. I, I'm not watching the NBA Finals. And so what I've been doing is, I'm so thankful that this documentary came out. It's called The Last Dance on ESPN. And I think I've watched entirely through The Last Dance two, two times now. It's a 10-part docu-series on the 1998 Chicago Bulls and the season that they had. And I've just been sitting there just binge-watching episode after episode because it's, it's something to fill that gap. There's no NBA Finals. It's something to be entertaining during that time. I actually had tickets to go see the Foo Fighters in May at the Van Andel Arena for their van tour that uh, they were doing. And I was excited to go. My son and I were going to go see the Foo Fighters and be a part of that concert, and it got canceled. Well, it got postponed. And so what I've done is I found myself going on YouTube and watching like old videos of concerts and footages of my favorite performers and artists just to kind of fill that void. That's what we do. We, we drift toward entertainment. We want entertainment in our lives. Listen to me. Entertainment has been taken away from us in a lot of ways right now. But celebration can never be taken away from us. No matter where we are, no matter what season of life we're going through, no matter what's happening, we can have true joy, true celebration, because true celebration can't be taken away from us because it's connected to the person of Jesus. And his promises are forever. So that's what we've been invited into. How do we lean into celebration and not just settle for entertainment. 
I want to read you a quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel. He was a Jewish writer, and he wrote about celebration and entertainment. He wrote about the Feast of the Lord and the Sabbath and many of these things that God gave the Israelites during this time. He made some profound insights about the difference between entertainment and true celebration. He said this, The man of our time is losing the power of celebration. Instead of celebrating, he seeks to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state. It's an act of, of expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It is to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or a spectacle. Entertainment is a diversion, a distraction of the attention of the mind from the preoccupations of daily living. Celebration is a confrontation. I love this. It gives attention to the transcendent meaning of one's actions. So those are some profound words. Let me just try to capture, you know, kind of in my own words, uh, try to restate a little bit of what he just said in that quote. Basically talking about celebration and entertainment, he says, entertainment is passive. Celebration is active. Entertainment, we sit back, we receive it, but celebration is active. It calls us to something. We, we have to choose it. We have to decide we want to lean into it. Uh, entertainment is distraction. Celebration is attentive. Entertainment sort of numbs us out and distracts us, but celebration makes us more attentive, makes us more aware of the presence of God in our lives. Entertainment is often practiced alone. This is why you can sit on your phone completely in isolation and be entertained by whatever you want to get involved in there. But celebration is most often practiced in community with other people. So this is what it means to be a person of celebration. We choose celebration. We lean into it. We actually have to show up and bring ourselves to it. So what's amazing to me is on the night of the Passover, Jesus gathers his disciples together. They're celebrating the Passover meal. This moment that looks backward to the last night of the plagues of Egypt, but it looked forward to the cross that Jesus had come to fulfill. And on that night of Passover, Jesus gave us another sacred feast, another sacred meal. We call it communion. Maybe in the tradition you came from, you called it the Eucharist, or you've heard it called something else, the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper. But Jesus instituted this sacred meal. What he did is he, he took uh, bread, and then he took a cup, and he said, this bread represents my body, which is, will be broken for you on the cross. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you on the cross. And then he said these words, don't miss this. This is the, the most important part. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So this sacred meal, the sacred feast that we're about to take together, and I hope whether you're in a home group or whether you're by yourself or uh, wherever you are that you've, that you've got some bread and you've got some juice with you to celebrate here in a moment, this sacred meal of communion. But Jesus gave that to us and the whole purpose was to help us remember because we're in, when we're in the middle of the wilderness, just like the Israelites, when we're in the middle of tough times, we drift toward entertainment, not true celebration. And entertainment always makes us more selfish. It makes us turn inward to ourselves. 
True celebration focuses us on our true hope, the person of Jesus, and it helps us turn outward into our world to be servants in our world. That's what Jesus does with this feast. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember who I am, remember who you are, and remember where I'm taking you for the future. And so the disciples celebrate this meal together with Jesus. I have a son named Aaron, and Aaron loves Halloween. I mean, he's absolutely, just loves everything about Halloween, all the spooky stuff. And he also loves animatronics, which are these uh, robotic props you can get of like monsters and scary things on Halloween. And so uh, because Aaron has autism, social interactions are, have been hard for him in his life. And so a few years ago, Aaron came to my wife, Carrie and I, and he said to us, mom and dad, he said, I want to throw a Halloween party. And I want to set out all my animatronics in like a haunted trail that people can walk through. And I want to invite all these people over. He said, in fact, I want to invite all my friends from my class over. He's in an ASD classroom at his school. And he said, I just, I want to invite all my friends from my ASD classroom over. Well, I'll admit, when I first heard him say that, wanting to be encouraging, I looked at him and I said, that's great, buddy. That sounds awesome. But in my head, I'm thinking to myself, how do you tell the kid who doesn't really get invited to parties that if he throws a Halloween party and invites all his friends who also don't usually get invited to parties, nobody's probably going to show up. And so I started to try to gently like talk him out of it. I'm like, you know, you know I'm trying to distract him. I'm trying to, to redirect him. Maybe you could just go trick-or-treating or something instead. Or maybe, maybe we could just set the animatronics out you know, in front as people go by trick-or-treating. I'm trying to come up with some other alternative. Because the truth is, I, I just didn't want to see him get hurt by nobody showing up to his party. And maybe, honestly, maybe I was trying to spare myself a little bit of that hurt as well, you know, seeing that happen to him. But my wife, Carrie, when she heard that, she took the totally opposite perspective. And she just shut me down. She was like, absolutely not. We're going to do that party. That sounds great, buddy. And she just started like, yes, we're going to do it. She started feeding him and encouraging him. She's like, she's like making plans with him. We're going to do this party. And I'm getting more and more anxious. I'm thinking nobody's going to show up to this. The difference between her and I in that moment is I was concerned about entertaining guests. She was concerned with celebrating her son. I was concerned with entertaining guests. Like, is anybody going to show up to a Halloween party? Especially because, after all, I'm a pastor. He's a pastor's kid. Who wants to come to a pastor's house on Halloween, right? I'm I'm concerned with entertaining guests. Who's going to really show up to this? And even if somebody does show up, what are we going to do? How are we going to entertain them? How are we going to make this interesting Carrie didn't care about any of that. She was concerned with celebrating our son. Her attitude was, it doesn't matter who shows up. It doesn't matter what happens. As long as we're here and we're celebrating our son and we make it about him, it's, it's going to be a win no matter what. <laughs> well, thankfully, I'm very thankful for this now. She won that argument. She won that conversation. And so Aaron got his Halloween party. And so on the night of his Halloween party, it turns out tons of people actually wanted to come to this. People showed up in huge droves. I'll never forget just seeing the cars coming and parking outside, and and I'm just baffled. More and more people are coming into this Halloween party. A bunch of kids from his class came. One of the parents from one of uh, the the special needs uh, kids that go to school with my son pulled me aside and said, thank you so much for this. 
um, he said, this is the only party my son's ever been invited to. He was so excited to come tonight. That blew me away. And since then, that party, that Halloween party has become a yearly thing and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. The animatronics get more and more crazy. Uh, the haunted trail gets longer and more and more people have come. This past fall, uh, right before Halloween, a friend of ours called up Fox 17, our local news station, and told them about Aaron and the Halloween party. And so they called and they ended up coming over to our house the week before Halloween and doing a, a, a special on Aaron and on his Halloween party where he invites his friends to come to it. And what happened is when it aired, even more people ended up showing up from our community, people we didn't even know were showing up to check out this Halloween party. Absolutely blew me away. I have a couple of friends. One of them uh, just asked me a couple years ago, I said, why are you celebrating Halloween? Right? Like, you're a pastor. Aren't you worried about, you know, celebrating Halloween, drawing attention to all this kind of stuff? And my answer to him was really simple. It was along the lines of, I'm not celebrating Halloween. I'm celebrating my son. I'm not celebrating scary monsters. I'm celebrating the fact that scary monsters have been overcome in his life. The fact that he could do something like this and all these people come and he can socially interact with them. If you, if you worry about entertaining guests, you lose. But if we focus on celebrating our son, doesn't matter who shows up, doesn't matter what happens, we win. Let's talk about church for a minute. I'll admit to you that there are times where I have made church about my own entertainment, I've made it about my preferences, I've made it about the things I want it to be about, and it's been like a dead end. It's been a disappointment all the time. I'm constantly frustrated, constantly feel like it's not living up to my expectations. And what happens is the more I make church about me being entertained, the more inward focused I become, the more selfish I become, and the less like Jesus I become. But... If we're willing to celebrate the sun, if we're willing to make church all about celebrating the sun, what happens is our world just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Our celebration becomes more and more rooted in him and in the hope that we have in him. And we become more aware of how he wants to work in our lives and in our community. So the question I want to ask you as we close this time and as we head into a time of sharing communion together is, are we concerned with being entertained or celebrating the sun? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Make me the focus. If you make me the focus, it doesn't matter whether you're celebrating communion in a home group right now, in a, in a physical building, or outdoors, or by yourself, or with a group of people. It doesn't matter. As long as you celebrate the sun, that's some church right there. That's church. That's what it means to celebrate. And so I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to offer a prayer for us, and then we're going to head into a time of communion. And I want you just to simply uh, calm your heart, say a prayer, just tell Jesus how thankful you are for him. Uh, just ask him to, again, make himself real in your life. Ask him to be Lord of your life if you've never done that. Step into that place where you trust him with your life and step into salvation in him. And then either by yourself or with your group, you can take the elements as we worship together. And then beyond that, as you think about your celebration this summer, invite Jesus into your celebration. Anniversaries, birthdays, 
uh, parties, 4th of July? What does it look like to actually invite Jesus into those moments and to be a part of your celebration in your life? Uh, this summer, in Ju- one in July and one in August, there is a couple of memorial services, funerals that I'm going to be doing. And I love the fact that when it's a Christians, what we call those are celebrations of life. We, we call those, those events, a, this is a celebration of life. Because even funerals, when we, someone knows Jesus, when their life has been rooted in the person of Jesus, even funerals become a celebration of a person's life. So let's pray, and then I'd love for you to enter into communion. Lord Jesus... Right now, we just come before you and we just realize we are lost without you. Our world is lost without you. And so, once again, we remind ourselves, we center ourselves on the cross. We center ourselves on your incredible love for us. That you offered yourself in a sacrificial death on our behalf so that we could have life. You died the death we deserve so we could have the life that only you deserved. And so, we do this now in remembrance of you. And we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the hope that we have because of who you've allowed us to be. God, we ask you to meet us in this time, in our wilderness season of our lives, each of us individually. And would you guide us and lead us into the life that you have for us, whatever that looks like in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.